welcome NHL. I'm sorry, I do a football show. Let me do this one more time. Welcome NHL hockey fans. It's that time again, time for another episode of Talking Hockey. I'm your host, Charles E. Smith Jr. This is an Inside Sports production presented to you by Humanica Media, and hopefully everybody has downloaded the Podbean app on your smartphone. Take us with you wherever you go. This is the Eastern Conference preview. The Stanley Cup playoffs are in full swing. We're going to break down the second round. We've got the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Boston Bruins locking horns on one side. And then on the other side, old rivals renewing an acquaintance, and that is the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Washington Capitals. Although I think for a rivalry, the other side has to win one at some point. But anyways, it's called a rivalry just because it happens so often. Let's go ahead and uh, jump right into it. As you know, I don't break this thing down alone. I do enlist the help of the very, very best. And sometimes you got to go all the way to Eastern Canada. You know how many folks I had to pass up to find this gem in Eastern Canada, <laughs> a goaltending authority, the man with a lightning quick glove hand, and a great authority on NHL hockey, none other than Lightning Lonnie Schwartz. By the way, follow him on Twitter at the Schwartz. 5454. That's the Schwartz, S C H W A R T Z 5454. Lonnie, what's going on out there, man? After an introduction like that, and all your introductions, I must say, are spectacular. I feel as though the next things out of your mouth are going to be, come on down, you're the next contestant. Uh, <laughs> that's how good of a sell you do. And, and, and I just hope that that the good listener is sitting there going, man, I'm glad he heads out to Canada for this because, you know, I'm really happy to join you, talk hockey with you, and, and maybe take take a couple of stray paths that the mainstream media kind of bypasses sometimes yeah. when they're analyzing this game we call hockey. Right. We got to give the backstory and the things that, well, some people, let's face it, they're just kind of afraid to say. But you know what? When you talk about the cell, remember, it's not a cell if it's true. I'm just telling the truth about you. <laughs> and no one breaks it down like you do. And uh, very proud to have you as a partner on this show. But hey, one thing we got to talk about before we get into the matchups, uh, you know, the awards are coming out. They're announcing the you know, Vesna and Norris and everything else all culminating in the Hart Trophy in about, uh, you know, in a few more days here. But the Mark Messier Leadership Award, by the way, no longer presented by Bridgestone. Uh, you got the three finalists. You got Blake Wheeler, who is captain of the uh, Winnipeg Jets. Then you got uh, Derek England, alternate for the, for the Vegas Golden Knights, which that's what everyone is there. But curiously, you got Wayne Simmons, who's up for the Leadership Award, now, to be up for a leadership award when you're not even the captain of your own team, what does that say about perhaps the power structure of the team that you're playing for? And also, we had Claude Giroux who just came out and said that somehow the Philadelphia fans booing actually affected the team in the playoffs as they got bounced uh, by the Pittsburgh Penguins. So I'm not saying that you should let media – or anyone else pick the, your team captain. But well, you see a shakeup there possibly in Philly. I'm not saying Giroux gets traded, but, you know, we've seen the letters taken off sweaters there in Philly before. I remember that happened with Eric Desjardins. He had a nice career there in Philly. Started out uh, scoring a hat trick for your Montreal Canadiens in 1993, leading them to the Stanley Cup over my L.A. Kings. But, you know, I'm, I'm over it. My therapist says I'm I over want, it. I want to talk about that trade. Okay, I, I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> you traded John LeClaire, too. Went where? But anyways. I'm not talking about that trade right now because I'm going to get really worked up. And I just want to – I know you're talking about Wayne Simmons. Yes, let's and, stay there. And the misnamed trophy. It should be the Stephen Gregory Iserman Greatest Leader of All Time in the History of Existence Award for Leadership. But but I digress. It's a lot of stuff. And, and it's a bit of a long name. It's yes. not a good sell whether or not Bridgestone is presenting it or not. But the fact of the matter is, you bring up Wayne Simmons, who I found out, and, and maybe I'm reading one of those obscure, and I just caught the headline sites, where at the beginning of the season, he had like a pelvic issue, a torn leg, like injuries that you would have thought you're pressing pause on the season for. And then you once you come in healthy, 
for the for for the playoffs. Well, healthy is a loose term in the National Hockey League. Right. It's a playoff competition, but it's like this explains a lot for his season because I I, I play fantasy hockey. I got a couple of keeper teams. Wayne Simmons last year, beast mode every game, land hits, scoring goals, power play performance, left wing, wing, right wing. He could have played from the rafters. The guy was playing out of his mind all season. This year, he kind of regressed a little bit, and you're sitting there wondering why. This is a very versatile, very rare type of player, a power forward that harkens back to the days of the 80s and 90s where, like, every team had one. And, and like, this is a guy that doesn't have to fight because his reputation is such that, okay, there are fighters in the league, and then there are guys you just don't want to fight. Wayne Simmons has been listed as one of those guys that he may not have the title of enforcer, but he is the last guy you want to fight, even if you are an enforcer. So we're talking about a guy who's got great physical skills, great offensive capabilities, yet played a season fairly injured. And, And some people are saying, I don't think that's necessarily brave when you have the opportunity to get better, one, and then two, you're going to help your team even more because let's not forget Philly didn't have the best start to the season. Right. Right. So, so them getting into the playoffs, mm-hmm. is a big deal. Claude Giroux having a massive bounce back here is also a big deal. I, I don't think Claude Giroux is the kind of guy you strip a C off of. He's been the captain for quite some time now. And on top of that, speaking the truth, I mean, and if Philly fans don't like their reputation of being the worst fans in sports, well, then stop acting like the worst fans in sports. You know, it's one thing to accept it, but it's another thing for the captain to be like, all right, guys, like, you might not want to boo us. We're we're in the playoffs this year. But then again, did you see uh, the way that they played in a few of those games? And the last game, I, honestly, on a, and you know what? And the worst part is the Flyers are my second most favorite team. I like the Kings first and the Flyers, but... That last game, that elimination game, they were up 4-2. And, I mean, have you seen that many turnovers at this level ever? Just stuff you coach peewee teams not to do. And it was just egregious turnover one after another after another after another. It just turnovers, turnovers in the offensive zone. And we're not even talking at the blue line. We're talking about the hash marks. Right. To the uninitiated, if you do not know what a hash mark is – that is not some sort of drug paraphernalia permanently on the ice. It's that those little slashes on the sides of the circles, on the outside and the inside of those circles, that's what a hash mark is. When you're turning one over on the outside hash, and you can say it was a trip all you want, it's a pass right up the gut where no one's in the high slot, laser beam into the net, and there you get your momentum shifting, and you get – Jake Gensel, who forgot what offense was like in the regular season, scoring four straight goals to put his team ahead. Four. One guy. One guy, Jake Gensel, who had a spectacular playoff last year, had a eh, regular season, and then goes and scores four. I mean, let's let's put it this way, though. Let's, let's not totally lay the blame on how Philly might have performed and collapsed. We're also talking about the Pittsburgh Penguins, whom a lot of people pick to three-peat. I cannot remember the last team to three-peat, not uh, what, the Edmonton Oilers have to be the last team. What's that? They never did it. It was the New York Islanders who got four. It must have been the Islanders and more than the three-peat, because you're right. You mentioned that. Mm -hmm. It was an interruption. So it was the Islanders that are the last team to three-peat as champions because the Red Wings only did it back-to-back. Right, that's the last team prior to Pittsburgh just doing it, winning back to back. So we've gone nearly forty years since a three P champion, and this is a team that just beat the Flyers without Malkin, and now they're going into the game one against the Caps without Malkin and so without Carl Hagelin. Carl yeah, Hagelin's be missing, be missing too. Yes, and that was based on a huge hit from the aforementioned captain, at least currently of the Philadelphia Flyers, Claude Giroux. Right. So, I mean, speaking speaking to Wayne Simmons being nominated as as leader, I, I don't know if I would put him up there, uh, but but he is had a good season, 
not as good as last year. So, I mean, I'm kind of scratching my head if he was the one who led them there to the promised land in the playoffs. Claude, Claude Giroux did did a pretty remarkable job this year. So, I'm, well, Giroux like, is, has a sick amount of talent. That's undeniable. But uh, leadership is an intangible thing. Yeah. And it's one of those things. That's what I always said about, you know, watch the Sharks out here where Patrick Marlowe had the C on his jersey. And it's like, I know Patrick Marlowe interviewed him, met him. He's not going to lead you to storm the beachhead at Normandy. He just isn't, even though he's a great hockey player. So I think out of all the guys listed, I mean, the sentimental story, just to touch on that award, Derek Englund, Las Vegas resident, having a very heartwarming speech towards the beginning of the season after the tragedy that did happen in Vegas. And then you've got Blake Wheeler, though, who has led his team to a record season, whom everyone on the team says, you think he's given 100% on, on day one. Oh, that's 100% day one. 100% changes on day two. Like <laughs> every day of the season, they were talking about him as if it was like he was a new man better than he was the day before. And, and so on that award, I don't know if I'm going to play Simmons amongst a group like that, especially when you're comparing him to the likes of what Wheeler did for the, for the jets and how Derek Englund was that emotional leader for a brand new franchise. Little side note, by the way, if, if I'm remembering correctly about Derek Englund's career, Derek Englund played in Pittsburgh. Did he not? Most definitely. Derek Englund was brought in and this is, this is me throwing a little shade on Sydney when he was younger. <laughs> Pittsburgh wasn't exactly what you would call a physically intimidating team. So they signed Derek Englund, bring him onto the team, help afford a little protection deterrence for one Sidney Crosby. They sit down in the meeting. They say, Sid, this is Derek. We brought him in. He's kind of going to shadow you a little bit, offer some protection. And, and Sid, Sid basically got up and walked out the room with barely a thank you or a hello. Like that's how green Sid was. And that's how little he thought of Derek Englund those many years ago. And, and I mean, I've got the fly on the wall skinny on this. So it was, yeah. you know, it was just interesting because I'm not saying that's Sidney Crosby now. That's well, young. Crosby had a lot of growing up to do. And I remember when they, if you remember 2008 Stanley Cup final when uh, the, the Detroit Red Wings beat them and he didn't go through the handshake line. It's yeah. because he didn't understand just, and I think he had a lot of growing to do. And unfortunately for Sidney, a lot of that stuff followed him through his entire career. And there are a lot of people who can't forgive him for things that happened way back when. But let's say it's safe to say, I think he was quite immature in a lot of the a lot of different ways when he came into the league highly touted and but he didn't have the respect overall for the league and the legacy that he was joining when he came to the NHL I think yeah. we can say that for Sydney he has grown since even though there are people who just will will hate the man until the day he dies but yeah. and, you and, know. and and we've seen the maturation process like yeah right. his nickname is still Sid the kid and he carries himself much different. The, the interesting thing too is, is like he roomed with Mario Lemieux. Mm -hmm. When he first came to the league, if you didn't know, you know now that he needed a home to stay in in Pittsburgh. And of course the owner and the magnificent one said, well, I think I have a few spare bedrooms in my palatial palace. So <laughs> he stayed there. And what shocked me is, is that, there wasn't that maturity and respect almost instantly because he was being nurtured by Lemieux. But we're talking, we're talking a decade later now. This is a different player. This is the best player in the world. And it, and it affords us a, a really good, this is, if, if you're paying attention and you're an aspiring broadcaster, this is a brilliant segue opportunity <laughs> because Sidney Crosby is the best player in the world. Sidney Crosby is leading the NHL in playoff points at 13, Jake Gensel, after that monster game, he's tied with Sidney Crosby. And this is a guy who's going to take the team on his back and do what needs to get done. Derek Broussard's there now as their depth at center. He's, he may not be a Cullen, 
but he's definitely adding to that element of the team. Phil Kessel has stepped up. He's making plays, generating offense, maybe not scoring as many goals that we're as accustomed to, but he's making plays and he's get. I love it when he gets mad. I love because I just say, that's it, wicket. That's it. You just yell at Han Solo and Princess Leia like that and wait till that golden android starts speaking your language to calm you down because Phil Kessel is the most angry, awesome-looking Ewok ever. You know, I get kind of jealous of Phil Kessel because I remember back when I was was in my athletic prime and all the things I did to just stay in great shape. And then I watched Phil Kessel and I'm like, that's a professional athlete. Uh, you know, and here's the deal. It's, <laughs> it's not fair, man. It's not fair. You can look at it and say not fair, and I don't disagree. If I looked at that guy, I would say that is a pudgy Ewok. There is no way that that man walks into training camp as the best <laughs> condition forward or a former fastest skater. There is no way you cannot sell me that. That is fake news. That is alternative facts. That is every single thing you make up to say that is not reality. Wherein it is reality. And Mm -hmm. it's amazing. I love it. There was an article that came out about Phil Kessel and just how perfectly he fits in Pittsburgh. No expectation of leadership. He just walks in. He chirps. He scores goals. He sets up plays. Everyone loves the guy. There is not one player that was interviewed that was like, yeah, you know, Phil, he's this. It's like, no, he makes us laugh our ass off. He is the best guy in the dressing room. We love Phil Kessel. So you know what? They ran him out of town here in Toronto, but he is the man that they look to for a little levity and some leadership that doesn't look as though they still need implants or extra strength Rogaine to just get the facial hair going during the playoffs. Of course, we're talking again about Sidney Crosby. So anyways. He hath the patchy beard of a prepubescent squire. This is true. So, you know what? Let's go ahead and get into that uh, this series since we're already there in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh and Washington. In case you don't know the history, in the history of the two franchises, they've met 10 times in the playoffs. The Pittsburgh Penguins have won nine of those 10. And every of the five Stanley Cups the Penguins have won in their history, all five times. They beat the Washington Capitals in one of the rounds on their way to the Stanley Cup. So here's what we've got. The Penguins still beat up from that Philadelphia series coming into game one against the Capitals. No, no Evgeny Malkin, no Carl Hagelin. Now, I'm not saying that this is going to affect them through the whole series, but the Capitals, to me, this puts all the pressure on the Capitals because bottom line is this. If you can't beat the Penguins in one game with Malkin and Haglin out of the lineup, what are your chances when they come back? So that said, Lonnie, how do you see this one? I feel, well, first of all, let's talk about the previous round. Our hearts were right. Our hearts were like Celine Dion. They went on and on for the Washington Capitals. So our hearts overcame our logic-minded noodles the gray matter between the ears, the Columbus Blue Jackets fell four straight games. They won the first two in Washington, and Washington showing a degree of fortitude we haven't seen from that team. And it almost seemed as though it was like, all right, we're going to give Grubauer the shot. We're going to give Philip Grubauer the shot to be our starting goalie in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And a game and three quarters into it, it was like, well, that's an experiment we can't afford to keep playing with. So we're going to put in our Vesna Trophy winning goaltender, Braden Holtby, who has been what they needed, that calming influence that, that you need from the crease out. And then on top of that, you've got Carlson, not Eric Carlson, but John backing up the blue line for them in what and spelt differently, by the way, C-A-R-L-S-O-N. Just in case, right. you're trying, like, oh, they got to be related. No, John Carlson is not related to Eric Carlson. But if you're looking at the scoring race here right now, I'm going to read these off. Ninth, Carlson. Tenth, Ovechkin. Eleventh, Kuznetsov. Scroll down to 13. And there's Backstrom. 
These are the names that we have been touting that needed to step up, not named Ovechkin, mind you, because he's always been a very consistent playoff performer. Mm-hmm. But it's his line mates, or sorry, his teammates like Kuznetsov and Backstrom that you need to alleviate some of that offensive pressure. And Backstrom, of course, scored the game-winning goal in overtime against the Columbus Blue Jackets. So it's really good to see that there are more names than just Ovechkin contributing on the score sheet now. You also, like I said, have Braden Holpe playing like the Braden Holpe we remember. Because last playoff, I generalized. I give myself I give myself the two minutes of shame in the box because I kind of threw him <laughs> under the bus. But he only had a lousy playoff last year. Previous playoff performances, he was like peanut butter and jelly smashed together for a perfect sandwich. Nobody wanted to eat it. That was the problem. Mm-hmm. Braden Holpe, <laughs> top-tier goaltender playing like it. You're getting good enough defense, well, more than good enough defense, and the offense is woken up. So here we go again. Who am I going to listen to? You just laid out the numbers. You just told everyone. Nine out of ten times. That's the exception right there. Do we start a new ten or nine out of ten times? You know, the 90% rule. Does Washington start fresh on the new ten back and go, we're setting a new tone. We're going to win this series. But then you look numerically. Then you look from top to bottom. And you see Matt Murray, who is also a great playoff goaltender, and you say to yourself, okay, I want Washington to win. My heart, it's beating through its chest as if there's no rib cage. I want them to win so badly. But then there's the best player in the world saying, Ovi, I love you. You're a great goal scorer. A lot of people argued who the better one was between the two of us. And, And I know you're still the greatest goal scorer of this generation, but brother, Let's put the argument to bed. Overall, you know I'm the best. And I'm going to carry this team. And once Malkin comes back, I can't, like, my head is screaming saying, just say Pittsburgh. But my heart is is, is angry again because it's like, you should have listened to me. You should have <laughs> listened to me. I, I told you, I told you they're going to beat Columbus. And you didn't listen. I'm really mad at you now. Most people say I'm heartless, so it really doesn't matter. I have to listen to my head again. I said Pittsburgh is in all likelihood going to be a three-peat champion, and they can't do that if they bow out to Washington now. So I'm sorry, Ovi. You know I love you. If you happen to be listening, if you happen to be tuning into the podcast, I love you. You put me in your DVD for crying out loud. But I got to go with the Pittsburgh Penguins because just overall, how do you how do you deny that team? Top the ball. I understand. I believe Ovechkin has he ever been past the, the uh, second round of the playoffs? Has he ever? I don't think so. I I don't think he has. In, unless it was the time that what? No, no, they didn't. Yeah. Uh, no, they didn't. Nope. I can't see that he has gone that far. I was I, I was overthinking. But no. These are the reigning Stanley Cup champions, defending Stanley Cup champions, who won the championship, by the way. Champions figure out a way to get it done. They won last year's championship without Latang. Let's just remember that. They didn't have him. So much like the Patriots winning the Super Bowl without Gronk, you know, against Atlanta. So it doesn't matter. You can take a piece away. You took away Malkin and Haglin. Will they figure out a way to get it done? Even if Malkin, it turns out that injury is, is a little more severe than we think because, remember, he got injured in game. Uh, five against Philly, didn't play in game six. Now he's still out for game one. So it may be something significant. But I remember and going back to uh, championship teams, 2001, the Colorado Avalanche. The, the, the big thing was they had Sackick and Forsberg in the lineup. Best one-two center combination in the league. What happens? They lose Peter Forsberg to a ruptured spleen and still win the Stanley Cup without <laughs> Forsberg. <laughs> These are the Penguins. They have a championship pedigree. They are going to go through Washington. And, uh, hey, you know, it's it's the Penguins. And I, saw, I feel sorry for the Capitals fans because they are some of the most loyal and dedicated, and they love that team, and they have high hopes, and they stand behind them 100%. But I just don't see it happening. I got the Penguins, and I think the Penguins are going to take them in I think probably five or six games. I don't even see it going seven. Um, yeah, I got the Penguins. I could see it going. I, You know what? I could see it going seven. 
because of the way that Washington overcame adversity and they're showing some real toughness mentally, they're not letting, they didn't let two games get them down on home ice, I might add. Right. So Washington, I got to give a little bit of credit to. They beat the best goalie in the world right now in Sergei Brabovsky. And Brabovsky, I mean, look, some people were pointing fingers and I'm sitting there, how do you blame Brabovsky? He, he, there were goals that were getting scored just in the red zone, Johnny on the spot, in tight in the slot, no coverage, or just a goal that was like, that was a perfect shot or a perfect situation. So I, I'm not placing any of this on, on Brabovsky. But right. now, you just like we said, too good of a team that they're facing. My heart, the caveat in this, my heart says Washington. But my head is in agreement, but I think this is going to be another tight one. I think this is going to go seven. I think this is going to be one of those where it's really hard fought and the offense is equally spread out this time around. I think Washington has a shot to really push him. Well, you know what? And I say this for the Caps, and, you know, I, I love – we all love to be right about things. And I said it's going to go five or six. But Washington Capitals, for the love of hockey, you have to beat the Penguins in game one. You yes. just have to do it. Send, send them out. I'm going to be, even though I picked against them, I'm going to be sorely disappointed if Washington doesn't take game one. Just, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I, you've got a handicap there. My heart will ache. My heart will ache. Yes. I'm, and and I'm, I'm 40 now, so it doesn't need that kind of extra stress. You know, <laughs> it, it just doesn't. All right. I've led the life of a goaltender. I might look youthful in appearance, minus the gray in the beard, but the inside. It's it's all like cranky and and barely functional. You need it's to lay off that pastrami. Bad. What's that? Lay off the pastrami, man. That's a good yeah. good tip. There's some good deli in Toronto, so yeah, and really good pastrami. So yeah, I'll lay off of that. All right. I'm sure Phil Kessel hung out there when he when he played for the Maple Leafs. But let's go ahead and get on to the other series, and that is. The Boston Bruins, who polished off those pesky Toronto Maple Leafs in seven games, they finally get through. Their reward, they get to face the firepower of the Tampa Bay Lightning. And, you know, one of the things about this matchup, we can we can get into, you know, how they beat the Maple Leafs. But with the Bruins, I just wonder, there may be a nervousness here with uh, when I look at the coach and everything happens from the from the top down. I think that players kind of reflect what the coach is feeling. Mr. Cassidy, honestly, game seven, I, and I understand you can always overanalyze and analyze and, and double think and second, second guess yourself and whatever, but why would you start your fourth line at home against in, in an elimination game? Wound up giving up a power play because they got caught behind the play because Matthews and the boys got on the ice and it's against the fourth line and Toronto goes up one to nothing. Fortunately, it turns out okay. But seriously, you got this line. You've got Bergeron, Marchand, and uh, and Pasternak, the best, arguably the best line in hockey. When you're playing at home in an elimination game, if nothing else but for the fans and the momentum and everything, you start your top line. Come on, man. Start your fourth line. As much as you'd want to do that, the advantage you have as the home team, though, is you're the last one to change lines. I get that. So you and and in classic form, and this isn't the first time or the last time it's going to happen. The purpose generally of your fourth line is a shutdown kind of line. Correct. Where you're gonna have enough faith in that fourth line. You know, you know what? I don't care if they score one goal all year as a unit. I'm putting them out there because they're the selkie unit. They can put enough pressure in the offensive zone, but it's in the defensive zone that a fourth line typically shines. Correct. That's their purpose. A fourth line is generally your shutdown line. And marry that with the the opportunity to be the last one to change lines on, you know, that to me is the strategy. Sure, you want to come out and say, yeah, we want to get our top line out in scoring, but they're going to eventually come out when they when they're assigned to come out. You want a line match? Ha! Huh, good luck, Babcock. I've got the first right to say, "Oh no, no, we're not going top line for top line." I'm putting out my fourth line against you guys. 
So it's line management. It's, it's coaching mm. strategy. And while it might have backfired initially, look what ends up happening through the rest of the game. I mean, I happen to be working for most of that game because hockey never <laughs> sleeps. I do teach goaltenders, but the game started late enough so I could catch most of the second period. The TV was on at the arena, folks. Don't you dare lose your mind. There was a proper television to catch the hockey before I got in my car. It's Canada. It's Canada. Hockey is going to be on wherever you go, and especially it's the Maple Leafs. Oh, city. And that is the center of the hockey universe there, Toronto, even though they haven't won a cup since 67. But that is the center of the hockey universe, people. Uh, hard, hard to argue it at this point because the last 25 years for the Montreal Canadiens haven't exactly been stellar. But then again, you could say the same for the Leafs. But currently – they are one of the young gems in the game. They faltered. There's a lot of blame going on right now. I mean, we can talk about the Leafs side initially. Jake Gardner, who was a trade acquisition, young hockey player quite a few years ago. I do believe it was through the Phil Kessel trade that they acquired his rights, although I could be off on that. Um, the guys, I don't want to say he's a liability. Because having looked at the regular season, he did have a very strong statistical, Corsi-friendly regular season, right? The actuaries are looking and going, well, statistically, he had really good numbers when it was five-on-five five and uh, an odd man, uh, penalty killing and uh, power play. So uh, he did all right there. I'm trying to sound studious now. He yeah, did all sure. right there. Mm-hmm. But then come the playoffs, Jake Gardner forgot that he's a defenseman. And, and he wasn't covering the red zone. And when I speak of red zone, just in case you're tuning in right now, and go, red zone? There's a red zone in hockey? I don't see anything that's really right outside of the circles in a line. The area that's in the immediate front of the net, right? So there's that blue paint. There's the crease. Just outside of that, between the top hash mark and the goal line, you refer to that as the red zone. Because that's really hard to read a shot. It's really easy to set up an open man there and get that quick shot off on a one pa- or on a pass from behind the net. And that's where Jake Gardner faulted, faulted a lot. However, he also had a defensive partner that seems to be enjoying the giant umbrella that is Nate Gardner because Nikita Zaitsev was just abysmal. He might have even been worse than Jake Gardner. This is the guy who chased the puck like it had bunny ears. Like, it was just absurd that Nikita Zaitsev wasn't benched. That's how poorly he played. If you thought Jake Gardner was Gardner was bad, Nikita Zaitsev was worse. You are not supposed to leave the red zone in front of the net if your defenseman, your defensive partner, is already going and chasing the guy behind the net. You're a defenseman, Charles. This is stuff yes. you learn in tight. <laughs> yes, it is. Well, you know, a a Russian defenseman or a Russian hockey player who uh, doesn't exactly adhere to the structure, that's nothing new. As I say, you know, if your last name ends in a V, you know, things are going to get dicey. Your work ethic could come into question. You're positioning a lot of things and not trying to be a uh, darker shade of Don Cherry here. But, you know, it's a lot of freelancing when it comes to the Russian hockey players. A lot of freelancing has gone on, even though it's a lot of great talent, great, uh, you know, great skating ability, but it comes to the minutia of the game. But those are things that Mike Babcock is a good coach, and he'll straighten out those things. I'm sure that this offseason in Toronto, it, it's going to be – there could be some hurt feelings, let's just call it that, amongst a few players and things like that. But he's going to get these things shored up. I think he knows now what he has – what he can expect from every player. And I think from this point forward, this is the crossover now because Matthew's got another year under his belt. I think now you're going to see uh, Toronto take that next step to becoming a good team. The building blocks are there. Now he knows the character of these players. What can he expect from who in what situation? So here's where I think we get into Mike Babcock 2.0. And going forward, Leafs fans, a lot of hope. Uh, and and I've said that since the beginning. I'm disappointed. I thought that after the momentum shift of winning a very important game six, that the Leafs could carry that into game seven. There were bounce backs. They showed character. They, they went up. They went down. They went up. They went down. But then ultimately in the third period, Frederick Anderson, who 
overall had a very good playoff, a very good first round. There were games though where there he where he was superhuman. Yes, and there were the games that he was mortal, and he was very mortal in the third period. The tying goal, the four four goal, four syllable word, a four syllable word capitulate. Uh, yes, yes. That's, that's what happened. Big one. I still clap to find out how big syllable or syllabic a word is. Well, it's actually a polysyllabic word when you use it in the past tense. He capitulated. There. Not only do you get a hockey lesson, you get a grammar lesson here on inside sports talk and hockey. (laughs) Because polysyllabic is a word with more than four syllables. Okay, and let's go ahead and get back to hockey now. Yes. that's and the sweet. Boston Bruins, yes. Yeah. Sorry. To finish with the Boston Bruins, they outplayed the Leafs. They forechecked really hard. Their forecheck was insane. They dominated yes. the offensive zone. The Leafs, just another footnote, Matthews didn't really show up. Out of all the young guns, the one that right. really showed up was Mitch Marner. I wanted to give him some props on this show because if you're unfamiliar, I know you're out on the West Coast, so the, there's a very strong chance that, that your people, and, and I'm not saying that in a pejorative term, your people, God. No, and your people and you people is two different things. I get that. Go ahead. Okay. It, but to the listeners, they might go, what? Your people? Oh, I'm not listening to this racist hockey show. I'm not listening to this anymore. It's terrible. No. Mitch you wouldn't Martin. believe what the, Jew, the Jewish guy said to the black guy. He said, <laughs> you know. Okay, let's, let's stay on track here. But Mitch, okay. Marner, Mitch Marner, I want to say, out of all the young guns, the ones that we talk about with promise that are the building blocks mm-hmm. of this franchise, Mitch Marner is a special hockey player. He's not generational like Matthews, but don't forget his name. He's going to be the Malkin to Matthews. He, Mitch Marner is a special, special hockey player. And he's shown that kind of skill set when it matters in the Memorial Cup. When yep. he played for the Hunters, okay, you know, Daryl Hunter, the big elbow to, to Turgeon, the, the, the villain of Washington. 1993. Played, I remember yeah, that. Yes. The Ontario Hockey League team called the London Knights. <clears throat> Mitch Marner is a graduate of that program. And the Memorial Cup is the championship for the Canadian Hockey League. And when they won, Mitch Marner had an MVP type showing. And this was just before he was supposed to join the Maple Leafs. So to think that that's, oh, he's he's like, oh, really? Like, this is where he's going? No, his trajectory has kept going and going for like the last four or five years. So don't yes. be surprised. Don't be surprised to keep seeing this guy succeed the way he has. So that's my little yeah, it takes a little bit for uh, more so than other sports for the NHL players to season and really come into what their role is going to be in the league. But I'll tell you, the only uh, college I ever had was I took one course at uh, City College, and that was in marketing. So here's my marketing tip for Toronto. I say that what they do with this whole Matthews and Marner thing, they uh, partner with M&Ms and get a campaign going there. I love M&Ms. Marner and Matthews, excuse me, Matthews and Marner, you know, but let's do this, M&M's. I can see it happening there in Toronto. Lonnie, when you see the commercials come out, uh, let me know. I will file a minor lawsuit. I want my cut, 10%. That's all I ask, 10%. I was going to say, and that's all you want. And, and, and to footnote that, if you're a Canadian listener right now, I'm going to put this out there, okay, because I know they're different in America, but M&M's are better than Smarties. That's all I'm going to say. All right. Okay. M&Ms are better than Smarties. In America, you call them Smarties. Up here, we call them Rockets. But in Canada, Smarties is a candy-coated chocolate treat that is an inferior part or an inferior product to M&Ms. I like that. Just as peanut butter M&Ms are better than Reese's Pieces, even though Reese's Pieces oh. better first. Anyways, okay, oh, let's get on to it. Yeah, Uh, I'm distracted from talking hockey now because now I got to pick between the Boston Bruins and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Tampa Bay Lightning, you'd think we'd be sitting here going Stamkos, 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 Stamkos. But the tune has changed a little bit to Mm -hmm. a fella named Kucherov. Yes. Cooch everywhere and get your mind out of the gutter when I say it. (laughs) 
cooch, 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 Like the guy is setting the world on fire in the regular season. And then sometimes you get concerned. Oh, a guy who's got that kind of offensive firepower. Is he really going to be able to pull this off? And the, the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. Kucherov has been a beast. And that's not to say that Stamkos has been, a, you know, completely invisible here, right? He's got five points in the playoffs, as does Patrick – or sorry, not Patrick, Alex Kilorn. But then there's the rest of the team. There's There hasn't been a ton of offense coming out of them. It's well, Jersey tough. plays them tough. You know, Jersey, for whatever reason, they kind of tend – they have their number – and they make those, they make it a lot tougher on them. But a lot of firepower in for Tampa, and not just those guys. You can go down the lineup. I mean, guys like Tyler Johnson kind of gets buried because of the Stamkos and Kucherov thing. But Tyler Johnson's a stone cold assassin when you yeah. when you give him a little bit of room. And here's my concern with this series. And okay, the Bruins won, but my big concern is with the amount of snipers. And that is not just the guys who go to, as they say, you know, the dirty areas there, front of the net, take the cross check, the stick and the ribs and everything else. But these guys who can just, from 15 feet, can just dead-eye pick corners like you cannot believe. Tampa Bay's roster is loaded with them. And I do not like, (laughs) even though the Bruins won last night, but, you know, how many pucks did Tuka Rass really stop? And really, through the series – what are his numbers? What are his playoff numbers in big games? And they were saying yeah. in closeout games, his you know his save percentage, I think, is just a little above 80% in big games. Last night, I think it was 80, 833 was Rath's save percentage. So it gets buried by a victory by the team in game seven. But when it comes down to playing a team like Tampa, you're going to have to cut those narrow margins there down like that. So the things like, Will Rast be able to make a big save? And they even talked about that on the broadcast when a goal was scored. And they said, you know, it's not Rast's fault, really. You can't really truly fault him for that goal. He says, but in the playoffs, you just have to think, can you just come up big just once, you know? And that's and, and that's, that's the that, problem with Rast. You need that. And Vasilevsky, you're right, there were some pretty low-scoring games. And Vasilevsky, he's he's a Vesna candidate this year, too. Right. So you're looking at a Tampa team with a lot of offensive firepower, although the Bruins, I will even give some credit. I mean, DeBrusque, Louis DeBrusque came out. And, and, you and, mean Jake? Jake, sorry, Louis' dad. <laughs> we love Louis DeBrusque. Louis. We all love Louis. <laughs> no, sorry, his son Jake. He came out yesterday with a huge offensive output that that could add that extra depth, not just exactly having it placed on on Krejci. Krug had a nice goal yesterday, by the way, the tying goal from the blue line. So there's they're getting some spread offense from Boston. But you're right. If Tampa snipers also continue to keep waking up, and you got a guy like Hedman, who's who's the backbone of that blue line, and on right. top of that too, look, Ryan McDonough. Ryan McDonough's done all right for himself throughout the playoffs too. Absolutely. He was a key acquisition around the play, or sorry, was a key acquisition around the the trade deadline, and then Sergachev. He's had a pretty interesting playoffs. On top of that, this is a guy who's been a little bit irritating to certain players. And Hedman, by the way, five games played, okay, five games played, no points. Yeah. So he's had to break out. Yeah, and he. So if you keep if if these if these guys, especially a guy like Hedman wakes up, Boston's going to have their hands full, especially, like you said, because of the goaltending, right? Rask, is he going to yep. be the guy who's going to steal the games for you? But you can also make you can also ask the same question out of Vasilevsky, too. That's true. It's Untested, true. really. And, you know, one guy I wish was playing for Tampa is a defenseman, Slater Cuckoo. This has problems as far as developing, but, you know, I mean, come on. We got a guy with eight letters in his name and four of them are K's. Yeah. That's just a beautiful thing, and I just love saying cuckoo. You know, cuckoo. It's Slater cuckoo. Cuckoo. Well, when it comes down to these two clubs, though, I mean, we thought we talked about the strengths, the weaknesses, and and there's one guy whose name I haven't really mentioned. Uh, I did actually earlier, but in a different context. You know, if all else fails, and they're really struggling, 
he, he maybe he signs as a free agent, pulls some executive order, whips out the CBA and says, look, according to the collective bargaining agreement under the subsection of Iserman, I can play whenever I want. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had, to, I had to pull it in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> being the GM of the team, being my all-time favorite player. And the fact that I hate, you know, I'm the Montreal Canadiens fan through and through, but I love hockey. I love hockey. And that's why I had no problems rooting for, for the Toronto Maple Leafs. However, they're playing a team that doesn't have a guy named Orr, doesn't have a guy named Bork anymore, and even Neely. So I can say this, and, and, and if there are children in the room right now, this is my Montreal Canadiens heart talking. Fuck the Bruins. <laughs> <laughs> Go Tampa. Stevie, you're not going to hear me swear a lot. I try not to pull that, that out of the bag because like, – Still a family-friendly enough show here on, on Inside Sports. But as a Montreal Canadiens fan, if I couldn't squeeze in at least one F-bomb in regards to Baston, I would be doing a disservice to my, my, my heritage and my club of choice, no matter how bad they are. And, you know, I think the other thing, too, with Tampa is we have to remember just the character guys on the team. So you mentioned Ryan McDonough, but also, you know, Ryan Callahan – Ryan Callahan, oh, uh, yeah. Alice Killorn, guys like that. And, hey, the youngster, Brayden Point, playing well, too. Very so true. there's just a lot, of, a lot of balance up and down the lineup. And I think Tampa, when I watch, they've developed over the past few years, that disappointment in 2015. And, you know, they missed the playoffs last year, but uh, that happens. I like Tampa here. I say in Tampa in six games. I would say Tampa in six. Go seven. I'm going to go, go seven. seven. You're going seven. All right. I'm going to go seven again from the simple fact that we saw Boston also like, look, I, I spoke to the mental strength of, of the Washington capitals coming back. Yes. And, and you're talking about the Boston Bruins who, who lost at home to the Leafs. They lost at home to the right. Leafs during this series. Like we're talking about a team that yes, very strong, arguably the best line in hockey, but I think Tampa just has that extra little bit to take out these fellas. I, I want to see Tampa succeed. I want Stevie Wise promise as an executive to be realized at the NHL level. And, and so I see them going seven because it's going to be hard fought. It's going to be hard fought. Yes. Well, and, and that's one thing. I'm not trying to sell the Bruins short, but, and, and one of the things that does scare me a little about, about Tampa is when they get out of sync, <laughs> Oh, my oh, goodness. Really out of sync. And if that – so don't be surprised. I would not be surprised if the Bruins do win one of these games something like 6-1 to one or 6-2 to two or something like that. It probably is going to happen. I'll give, I'll give you one that really sticks out here. Because like I said, I did fantasy hockey this year. I got a couple of keeper teams. You play the waiver wire. Earlier in the season, Tampa's red hot, right? Red, red hot. I'm like, all right, I need to fill a roster spot here. I'm going to go waiver wire. Tampa's playing Ottawa. What could go wrong? It's Ottawa. <laughs> Ottawa won 4 nothing. Like, right. how, what? What? That shouldn't happen. So you're absolutely right. That If there's going to be an X factor in anything in this series for to go in Boston's favor is that, like you said, if Tampa plays poorly, they play very poorly. It's yes. not just going to be a close game. It's well, you know, we're busy hanging out with Fido tonight, so we may as well get all the intimate apparel out because we ain't doing much more other than spending the time with the dog. So yeah, take, there we go. Take that figure of speech how you will. Like I said, I try and stray away from the profanities. Yes, you do. And you do a, uh, for the most part, you do a very good job of it. Thank okay. A Canadian who admires Arlie Ermey, who recently passed away, Gunnery Sergeant Hartman of <laughs> Full Metal Jacket fame, who I consider the god of coarse language. Yes. If I can if I can mind my P's and Q's and manage the F-bombs on this fine program, we call talking hockey. What you call talking hockey. I say in the Royal Week. I, I think I'll be okay. I, I think I can do all right linguistically. But then once you turn the power off, it's it's F this, F that. And, of course, I'm talking about French fries when I say that's free. Freedom fries. Free. Freedom, freedom fries. Yes. Free. Yes. They, they still okay. call them freedom fries in, in, in America? <laughs> no, we got over it okay. really quickly. Right. 
I was hoping so. I'm like, guys, come on. Throw up a little. In fact, we never did actually call it. It's one of those things that got publicized, but it, it never caught on. Even yeah. we were like, you know what? It's it's not the first, you know, we've been in a lot of wars. There's no reason to start changing the names of food to, but, just because we're in a war. But hold on. To take a page out of your culinary marketing idea, you had a you had a built-in slogan and, and a means for Mel Gibson to just make money forever outside of his movies. What kind of fries do we have? Freedom, Freedom! fries. <laughs> oh, Braveheart. Okay. Oh, that's and, you know, speaking to that point, before we get out here, just one more thing. I'm surprised that in Pittsburgh, during the height of his career, why did they never sell Yarmir yogurt? I think that would have gone over huge. It's been everywhere in Pennsylvania except Philadelphia. Yarmir <laughs> yogurt. I mean, that, that's a no-brainer, but they never did it. Like I said, folks, I took a course in marketing. You know, I was there for the full 12 weeks, I think, and, and showed course, up most of the time. Of course, the lid has to spill over in a nice flow to the very base of the container because if it didn't have a mullet, it wouldn't be Yarmer yogurt. That's, oh, my God. You've got, you've got the slogan and everything. <laughs> All right. This On that note. We're, we're a good team. Okay, everybody. Remember, the show is Talking Hockey. We'll be here every week. Uh, we'll probably give you an update before we get to the uh, conference championship round. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at The Inside Sports. Follow Lonnie on Twitter at The Schwartz, 5454. That's The Schwartz, S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z, 5454. And for Mr. Lonnie Schwartz, I am Charles E. Smith, Jr. Thank you for watching Talking Hockey, and we'll see you next time. Frank here from Super BS, talking about the things you know you love and the things you'd love to know. Join us weekly for a podcast about video games. Mostly. Oh.